Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. You may have noticed already, but we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. Hi, my name is Bethany, and I'm your producer. We don't have your host, Mike Gore or James Cazina, with us today, but we will be introducing someone very interesting. She's got a really cool story, and her name is Justine Shapiro, and I work for Open Doors. Before we met Justine, she would describe herself as a atheist. I probably lived the most non-Christian life you could ever imagine. Um, My dad is Jewish, but he became a Christian when I was 12. And so after that, we all started going to church again because mum had already come from a Christian background. But I never owned my faith for myself. I just did it because they did it, really. Justine spent a lot of her teenage years battling with anxiety and a low self-esteem. And she got sick. She got really sick. In fact, she ended up being hospitalised for about eight years with anorexia. I'd learned how to perfect, that sounds really bad, but I'd learned how to perfect my anorexia to a point where, yeah, I could live and do it at the same time, I guess. The same cycle over and over again, like hospital, out of hospital, hospital, out of hospital, just, yeah, it was like a revolving door. For me, faith was just a matter of doing the right thing and constantly failing at that. And because I was such a perfectionist, I just felt like I could never be a good Christian. By the time I was about 23, I had very little self-esteem and absolutely no faith. I recovered from anorexia, but from then on, it was just heavy down the path of drugs and partying and just living a really empty life. I just, I think I was a complete atheist by that point. I started working at a gym and I met this guy um, who wasn't a Christian, but he was, he was a really good guy. And anyway, we started dating and he was just like, if we date, then you can't take drugs anymore. You can't keep doing what you've been doing anymore. And I think that was just such a blessing because that world was probably going to destroy me way faster than my eating disorder ever could have. And it wasn't until one day Justine was coming back from holiday and she drove past her parents' church. She saw her parents' car parked outside. She knew it was late enough for the sermon to be finished and she decided to go in and say hello. It was when she was in her parents' church that she noticed her dad talking to somebody who she'd never seen at their church before. When I walked in, he had been talking to my dad about how he was leading a, I guess, mission trip to the Middle East with open doors, but it was a kind of unique one in that um, he was taking a team to work with refugees and the team he was taking over were going to be doing these crazy endurance events like marathon, ultra marathon, half marathon, I think 120k cycle, hike. And he was telling my dad this and my dad was like, oh, my oldest daughter would love that. She's been a runner her whole life. She's always wanted to help the Syrian kids and she's a nanny and she'd just love to work there. But he was like, there is no way she would ever do that because she is not a Christian and she hates Christians. And I think that was 
like when I walked into the church. So Justine went to the Open Doors office and she decided to ask about the Muscathlon. She actually wasn't planning on, on going until the guy running it called her that morning just to confirm that she was coming in. He was a very persuasive guy and um, he really sold this Lebanon marathon trip to me. That's where she heard about the Muscathlon and that's when she discovered that she was not coming in to volunteer for a humanitarian organisation or agency. I had stepped into the most Christian place I could possibly have found myself in. That they actually didn't so much deal with humanitarian problems as much as with persecuted Christians. I had never come across a persecuted church before. I had only ever come across a very prosperous church. So the idea that people would actually lose everything for their faith was something that I just couldn't understand because Christianity was such a complacent kind of notion to me. It was, you know, you go to church, pretend you're a good person, go home and and around it went. So I, I didn't actually quite get it. So I was really intrigued and that's why I kept volunteering at Open Doors. I kind of reached this point where I I thought all of these people who have died for their faith or have lost everything or just been tortured and or suffered so incredibly, they refuse to renounce their faith. And to me, I was like, well, this is either just absolute conviction in something so true or all these people are crazy. And I don't think there's such thing as mass psychosis in multiple places. And so that to me was a real, it was a really transformative moment because I kind of realised that Jesus Christ was alive. I'd got Christianity all wrong. I had always seen it as a religion but not as a faith in a saviour who's still alive and is still moving throughout the world. I asked Justine if she could describe to me in two words what she does with her time now. Crocheting and running. So crocheting is, a, I guess, a weird hobby for a 28-year-old to have if you think about it. (laughs) But I actually learned how to crochet um, when I was in hospital um, with anorexia. So I spent many years in hospital and many of them were on bed rest, which meant you couldn't do anything. Um, So my grandma taught me how to crochet And I I didn't really know how to crochet anything apart from blankets. Um, So there were definitely stints in my life where I was in a hospital room running on the spot and crocheting. I kind of didn't pick crocheting up again after I got better. I left hospital and didn't start again. And then I was working as a graphic designer two years ago and I hated that and I just needed something creative. And I found this thing called amigurumi, which is toy making in Japanese, crochet toy making. And... I guess the rest is history. I started a little business and then that business turned into Not Forgotten. When I did Muscathlon, each Muscathlete is asked to raise 10 grand for the persecuted church. And as a new Christian who didn't have a church community, I was like, I'm never going to raise that kind of money. But I make toys so I can at least give the children something fun to play with. The month before we left, there were those huge chemical attacks in Aleppo. And I remember sitting in the security briefing like two weeks after those attacks and they got the map out and they were like, okay, so you're over here and Aleppo is 
50k away from you <laughs> and I just remember thinking to myself right so I will be closer to Aleppo than I am to the central coast So she went. Justine hopped on a plane and flew to Lebanon. But from the second I touched down in Lebanon, I just remember being able to feel God's presence so strongly. I just felt so at peace. There's a school that's run by one of our partners. Um, We're in the school and we spend the whole afternoon playing with the kids. And the kids in this school were mostly Muslim. predominantly from Syria. When we'd finished playing with them, there were these two little girls who were sisters. So we're handing out juice boxes and wafer biscuits. And so I noticed this to these two little girls, these sisters sitting next to each other. And the older sister would have been about seven and the younger one about three or four. And the older sister was helping her little sister, but she hadn't opened any of her stuff. And so I went and sat next to them and I was just like, do you want me to open your juice box for you? Yeah, her sister just nodded. And so I opened it for her and she like smiled at me and she took her popper and then she took her little sister's popper and switched it. And I think I just remember sitting there looking at that, knowing that they're going home to a tent those tents that you can't, I can't even put into words what those tents are like. But they're going home to a tent where they don't even know if they're getting a meal. And this seven-year-old thinks that she would rather give her baby sister more than have her own. And there I was thinking, you know, my sister takes my, my T-shirt and I lose it at her. Their little faces, I think, changed me forever. And I think that's why... That's why Not Forgotten is so important to me because I've still got their little faces in my head. (laughs) Just before I left, I reached out to the Instagram community who followed Chubby Knots and was like, if anyone wants to donate toys, we'd love to take them into refugee camps. And that's exactly what we did. And then that went so well that I kind of left Lebanon thinking, I don't want to stop this. Not Forgotten kind of just came to be where we have a world, like a global network of men and women who crochet around the world making toys for suffering, displaced children. They saw that firsthand in Lebanon, the persecuted church. They don't just serve Christians. They are loved to the communities that surround them. Muscathlon is this event run by 4M and Open Doors. It's a 10-day event where they take teams from the UK and the US and Australia and the Netherlands and all these different people commit to raising $10,000 for the persecuted church but on top of that completing an event um, such as a half marathon, a full marathon, an ultra marathon, a 120k cycle or a 60k hike. I really wanted to win it and I thought I had a pretty good chance of winning it. But after spending a week with the persecuted church and not even just the persecuted church but with Muslim people who had walked for days to get to safety and had to dodge gunfire and things like that, I remember getting to the day before the marathon and just being like, I can, this is so silly, like the half marathon will be over in a flash and it won't be that difficult because I've been running my whole life. And for me, I just thought why are you doing this event 
And I think that's when I, I asked to do the, whole, the full marathon. Yeah, I learned what pain was. <laughs> In that marathon, I learned what it was to feel a lot of pain for a, a lot of kilometers. It was about the last 7K that it was really hot. It was very lonely and I was stuck in my head. And I kind of did the maths and was thought to myself, 7K on a good day is going to take me, you know, just over half an hour. But this isn't a good day. And I just started crying. <laughs> I don't even know why. I just started crying. I was in so much pain. And what, what keeps you running in that moment? I got a glimpse of the Syrian mountains through my ugly tears and remembered all the people that had done these journeys just to get to safety and they weren't even guaranteed safety. They weren't even guaranteed to stay. They weren't even guaranteed to make it out alive really. That's where I found my strength to keep going was I, I learned that actually what we suffer on this earth is so fleeting and it's just so yeah it's so quick in comparison to eternity and I think it was those moments where I just remembered the persecuted church and the journeys they had gone on and just the people of Syria and what they'd gone through and I think that's what pulled me through those last seven kilometers. When I asked Justine if there were any stories from her time in Lebanon that changed her and moved her this is what she had to say. We heard from these Syrian pastors who had crossed, I don't even know how many checkpoints to visit and to be with us. We had one pastor from Hom and Hom in Syria at that point, I think had just been freed from the Islamic State, but they were one of the most hard hit places by ISIS and being a Christian there was just, it sounded awful. And this man spoke about how he would pray over dead bodies and how a little girl died in his arms and just broke you. But this man had joy on his face. And I just remember thinking, are you sadistic? Like, like, how do you have joy when you're talking about this kind of thing? And someone actually asked that, probably not in those words. And he was just like, my joy comes from Jesus. And he was like, if I'm not here, if we're not here, then the gospel leaves and then there's no hope. This man just kept telling us of miracle after miracle where the Islamic State had come within metres of his church and turned around. The church had been damaged, but it had never been destroyed. Just stories like that of a man who just continued to see Jesus at work when everything was falling apart, I think that changed all of us. There was another pastor from southern Syria. He spoke about how he took his daughters to school every day knowing that the terrorists knew his name, they knew what he looked like, they had his phone number, but saying that he would take them to school because he wanted to be the one who saw them go home to Jesus because that's how real the life and death situation of what they were doing was. And I remember going and sitting down to dinner with one of um, my friends from the Australian team and we were just eating and the next thing I knew I saw this man and his three girls and his wife sit down and have dinner and they got their food and said grace and I just looked at them and like to me it's a family with three children, that's my family and then I, the stories he was saying came back to me and I realised that the next day they were going back over those checkpoints into Syria to their church to keep proclaiming Jesus' name, even though he knows that it's likely he'll have to watch his daughters go home 
to Jesus and I think watching them have dinner and like a, such a normal moment like that, I think it was in those normal moments that I broke the most because in those moments they weren't a statistic, these people, they were just families who were carrying their crosses. I asked Justine what she hoped the Muscathlon would achieve, not only in her, but in those that were travelling with her this year. I just want people from the West to see how amazing and alive Jesus is. Or we so often are so caught up in our normal lives that don't really change all that much from day to day that we forget to see what a miracle the Western church in itself is. The fact that to have access to Bibles, to have access to preachers, to not be threatened with our lives, we're the minority, we're not the majority. Yeah, I think it's so easy to coast along and put God in a box and you go to the Middle East and you realise he's not in a box. He's just, he's wherever he needs to be, doing whatever he needs to do. So this year, she's heading back to the Middle East. Justine is going to be taking part in the Muscathlon for 2018 in Jordan. This year in October is closed. We have a full team, which is really exciting. Um, But if you did want to get involved um, in the Jordan Muscathlon and in helping us to fundraise um, for the Persecuted Church, our athletes' profiles will be up on the website. Get behind them however you can because they're about to go on a really crazy journey and we've got some people coming on this trip which are up against some pretty incredible odds and yet they're still choosing to do it for Jesus and for his church so if you want to get involved in Muscathlon this year the best way to do that is to support some of our team who are going over if you wanted to actually do it um, on the website you can register your interest we're going to South Korea next year if you're a crocheter Get on the website because Not Forgotten is officially open doors now Um, and you can register to become a maker and from there you'll get all the patterns sent out to you and a a book with all of the information you need. And we also host crochet nights at Open Doors once a month. So if you keep your eye out on the Not Forgotten Facebook page or Instagram, you can see when those events will be. For more information about how you can get involved, head over to opendoors.org.au or if you're in New Zealand, opendoors.org.nz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. 